There are a lot of things in life that we wait for. Perhaps right now you are waiting for a delivery from Amazon. But you know what? As a Christian, there's one thing that we are waiting for, the most important thing in life, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be talking about in today's passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So get out your Bibles and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always. Blessed to be with you guys as we continue our study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, just to bring you up to speed, because it's been a few weeks since I've been in the studio to record, we are in a series called A Thief in the Night. And so really what you can do is you can look at verses 1 through 11, and that really encapsulates the eschatological view of the day of the Lord in the return of Christ. And Paul refers to it as a thief in the night. And this is in reference to Jesus's own teaching. When you look at the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Mark 13 and Luke chapter 21. So I just recommend those passages for you guys. Now, before we dive in, I'm going to give you guys a quick little recap, but I just want to say this. I've talked to a lot of you guys in my travels and it's just a blessing to have people who tell me, hey, I listen to your podcast. I'm, I'm studying the word of God with you. I'm, I'm going through the gospels right now. I'm going through the book of Acts. I'm going through James, whatever it is, or you're going through First Thessalonians. We've covered several books right now in chronological order, and I pray that we will continue to do that. But I want you guys to know, one is thank you for listening as always, but also leave a review. Wherever you get your podcast, please let people know that you listen to this podcast, share a testimony, how it's helped you, how it's grown your faith and teaching you how to be in God's word and study God's word and love God's word. I love reading those things. And that also helps other people find out about the podcast. So that would be a huge blessing to myself and the Stand Strong Ministries crew. So just want to give you guys a shout out about that. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, prayerfully consider going to standstrongministries.org, clicking on donate and giving a monthly contribution so we can continue to put out content like this podcast. Our other podcast, Challenging Conversations, where I invite colleagues and guests who are experts in their fields who teach us how to have challenging conversations and share our faith. So you can also check out that podcast. And of course, the numerous travels, conferences, equipping that we do in churches, in books that we continue to produce. Uh, so we can continue to equip families just like yours. So with that being said, let's go back, if you will, to the first three verses. And the last podcast, which was podcast 199, which means this is podcast 200. So it's hard to believe. I think we started six to seven years ago. And it's taken this long, obviously, to get to 200 episodes and so it's such a blessing that as we're finishing out, uh, hopefully most of First Thessalonians chapter five, this is our 200th episode that we've been able to produce. And just I'm just thinking even as we hit 200, I mean, the first initial podcast that we did um, on a little computer with a little Bluetooth mic, and I had no clue. And I talked to a few people. We looked to hire some production people. We didn't have the budget. And to see where we are at today, just in, in, in 
and just the progression, it's just amazing. And so I'm just so blessed to be here, you know, doing this podcast with you guys and knowing that we are together as a community of believers growing in God's word together. I mean, just, I can't tell you guys how much of a blessing that is to me. So please let us know. You can also email me, by the way, info at standstrongministries.org and let me know how I can pray for you. Or if you have a theological, biblical, apologetic question, I love to answer those. Um, so let's let's go back now. And as we're in two episode 200, we're, we're going to recap from our previous one. And that was broken down in three verses. And essentially the question was, what is the day of the Lord? And this is a big topic. And I encourage you guys to explore the phrase, the day of the Lord throughout scripture. And I covered some of those passages. But essentially what Paul does is he refers to them as periods of time and also proper or appointed time by referring to it as times and seasons. And that was a very important way of saying the day of the Lord is not just a day, right? Just one particular day that happens on the calendar. It's, it's considering a number of incident incidents, right? A, a number of accumulative events that lead to the culmination where Christ will return. And so that's important, you guys, as we're unpacking future events. So you're not just talking about the day of the Lord in totality by saying the return of Christ. When you and I right now in this, in this day and age, in the church age, as we're talking about signs, as we talk about false teachers, as we talk about judgment that has befallen and that we're currently seeing to, in, in, to some extent, which by the way, we don't talk a lot about we don't talk a lot about the judgment of God that's taking place right now. And I want you guys to stop and consider that. We, we tend to overlook that and just think that, you know, God doesn't see the evil in this world. Or we panic and we get frustrated and we lose sight of God's justice that is actually affecting elements of this world and, and affecting certain people. Somebody may still be reigning or somebody may win a re-election or somebody, somebody may be or some movement may, or agenda may be moving through the schoolrooms, the classrooms, teaching things that are contrary to scripture. And we think, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. And we lose sight of God's judgment. In part, you guys, let's remember, part of God's judgment is the depravity. You want this? It, it, this is what you believe? Is your right? Then here, have at it. And there are consequences to that, and it progressively gets worse. I was just talking to a gentleman recently where he went full-fledged in sin and loved every minute of it, he said, and then, boom, it just all came crashing down. Now, of course, when he says, I loved every minute of it, obviously sin is tantalizing. It's appealing right to the flesh, and so he was enjoying it, fulfilling those desires in a sense, but there were always the conviction, the guilt, and the consequences that were affecting him, his relationship with God, his relationship with others, uh, the depression that started to set in in his life, uh, the contemplations that he was facing in making really bad choices that affected him physically, emotionally, and financially. So those are consequences. And so in that sense, there's, that's the judgment of God. And we explored that way back in James chapter 5 specifically, so you can hunt that down on our podcast to go deeper into that judgment of God. But when we're talking about the day of the Lord, there is a form of judgment that's mentioned throughout until the return of Christ. So that's important. Another phrase that's important when we're talking about the day of the Lord is a thief in the knife here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. And 
the the key thing here with with the the thief in the night is again the suddenness. Now, no one knows when Christ will return. We talked about, and Paul used that same metaphor that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter twenty four forty three through forty four, and I believe, of course, in the return of Jesus being the rapture first before the physical and literal reign of Christ in his second coming. So the first is a part is a partial return of him in the sky calling up the church to dine with him, to celebrate with him, to rejoice with him, as we see in Revelation four and five. And then in Revelation nineteen, in the battle of Armageddon, we coming and returning with Christ to rule and reign on earth. And then I gave you guys a summary between with what John Wolvert said in his book, Every Prophecy in the Bible. And one of the things he talked about was uh, the signs of the day of the Lord is when people are going around saying peace and safety. And what's interesting is a lot of people today with modern technology, they look at peace and safety right now, like America, for example, we're not, you know, literally at war um, with other big nations like Russia or something like that, but there's different forms, right? And there's different tensions and we're monitoring that on a hourly basis, if you will. But they think, Oh, you know, I, Bombs are not dropping, unfortunately, like in Ukraine and parts of Israel and other parts of the world. And they think it's peace and safety, but there are labor pains. There are still signs of things happening that will lead to the return of Christ. And that's what we need to make sure we are focusing in on. So make sure that in your life, when you look around, this peace and safety, this peace and security is not false comfort. We need to see that destruction will come. Now, thankfully, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that destruction, that judgment, that's far beyond just, you know, people talking about Christians going through a tribulation period, like they're going to be tried and their faith's going to be refined. Yeah, for tribulational saints of people who came to Christ after the rapture, okay, the Holy Spirit's still moving and they will face the wrath that is going to fall upon the world, not from not God directly to them, but just what's happening with the Antichrist, what's happening with the world itself, and everything that we see depicted and described in the book of Revelation. And I do not take a metaphorical, I think there is some allegory that's going on. There's a lot of symbolism from the Old Testament, but a literal wrath of God falling in also the judgment and persecution that the Antichrist is going to sweep through the world militarily and also religiously. So sudden destruction, the Greek word member was alothrios, and it's referring to the annihilation of breaking this peace and security. And the Bible says they will not escape. In Greek, the, the not is emphatic, will certainly never. So people who rejected the Lord, people who rejected the gospel, and even people who rejected the gospel and we're leading the cause to cancel, right? We're talking about cancel culture, cancel the faith. They will be judged. They will be judged. But here's what's amazing. In verses four and eight now, are you waiting for the return of Christ? That's what we're going to talk about now in the next portion of scripture. And what I'm going to show you guys in verses four and five is how to be an active witness right now in your life. Number two, teaching you guys how, how to have an awakened spirit, okay? So be an active witness, have an awakened spirit, and number three, how your life can be equipped to do the, the things that God has called you to do as we await his return. 
Okay, so those are three specific things. So let's start with the first one here in verses four and five. Let me just read you the text and that's, let's break it down verse by verse. So notice here now in verse four, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What a beautiful passage. So notice here in verses 4 through 5, that immediately now, when we saw the descriptiveness to the day of the Lord, what Paul now does is he starts to giving these descriptive terms, but notice he said in verse four, he says, but you are not in darkness. So what he's saying now is like, look, what I just described to you as we're awaiting the return of Christ, there's a difference, okay? And he wants to make sure that the Thessalonians, including us, the church today, understand we are not in the realm of wickedness. We are not lost. There is not impending doom. And this, let me just say this. And there's a lot here. And I, and there for years now, and I've talked to some publishers, um, we've talked about putting together a timeline of Bible prophecy and really putting a lot of lectures, you know, teachings out there to unpack. Um, and I just have not had the time because of all these other projects. So thank the Lord that are important, but, and I love, you guys know me, if, if you've been listening to the podcast for quite some time, this is actually one of my favorite topics is eschatology. And so I, I've been really looking forward to at some point having time to work with a publisher and do a video series, and, you know, do a, an online class that people can go through. And, and I say that because one of the things that I have studied and seen for a long period of time with the different views out there is people lose sight of the impending doom on the unsaved, the people who rejected the gospel going into the tribulation. They're fixated on Christians who don't, who are not raptured because they don't believe in the rapture, who go into the tribulation period to be refined. And I see that completely as something that is added to the text in scripture in losing sight of one, the fellowship that we are to, to be having with our bridegroom during the tribulation period in the marriage supper of the lamb where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come and return for you. I will come rapture you. I will take you up. Okay. And that would be a celebratory thing. And we have the Lord's supper with him that he said he would not partake of that he will not do until he comes back for us so that we miss out on that intimacy in that sense. Two is we lose sight of the refining that's going on currently. We don't need an antichrist to come. We need Christ who is in us to empower us through the, his spirit to do the work right now, to be that witness, to be that bold witness. And thirdly, we lose sight of the judgment that falls on the wickedness, not on us. So when Paul's saying, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. See, Paul reiterates the fact that believers in Jesus no longer, isn't that awesome? No longer live in darkness because we have been set free from sin and death. Colossians 1, verse 13. Now, unbelievers, remember, there's the, con the contrast, the stark contrast here. 
Unbelievers are blinded. They're blinded to the gospel. They don't want their deeds to be exposed. They're not looking to the return of Christ because they reject Christ. They don't want his rule and authority over them. But for Christians, the return of Christ means everything to us. It's fulfilling his promise that he gave to his disciples in the upper room. The Holy Spirit guiding us, convicting us, and teaching us of coming judgment, of conviction, of sin. For us, the return of Christ is the consummation of our salvation. And that's why, my friends, we are to remain alert and to be watchful. And that's what an active witness does. We actively participate in what the Lord has set before us that people can see and witness what difference we have versus what they have in the world. We are children of light, he tells us in verse 5. We are children of the day. And he reiterates it again. This is a very proverbial way and not of the night or of the darkness. Okay, so it's like Proverbs. It's, it's the reinforcement that he keeps putting forth because of the, the, the importance of it. So here, Paul in verse 5 is encouraging the Thessalonians by identifying that their status, again, is not in the world. We are not defined by our status in the world, title, position, possessions, but we are defined by Jesus Christ. And that's where this phrase, the children of light, come from. This has actually been a phrase that many religions, cults included, have used through the years. Many of the Essenes that lived away outside of, of Israel because they wanted to break away from the Roman rule, they had a movement known as children of light. So this was not, not, I would say, original to Jesus. But why this is so important is because only Jesus is the true light. And if we bear witness to that, we believe in that, we dwell in his presence like Moses had an intimate relationship with, with God, what happened? He reflected the glory, the light of God. And in a way, that's us. The Hebrew expression, it personifies followers of Jesus as belonging to God. So as we are children of light, we are representing the one true God. Moreover, there were Jewish sects, as I mentioned, who were in the wilderness and that's how we discover the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so in a way, these Jewish people at the time, remember this is before even Jesus, they were known as children of light because they were recording the scriptures. And then there was other historical documents as well. And that's where Paul, I love this because Paul is taking terminology from Jesus and he continues to expand this phrase in other letters to even where the apostle John mentions it in 1 John chapter 1. So Ephesians 5, 8, he says, you were once in darkness. There was a time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And he tells us, walk as children of light. 1 John chapter 1, if we um, believe that Jesus is, is the true living God, remember he says they would proclaim that God is light, we believe that in him there's no darkness. What does that mean? That means that if we fellowship with him, but that we but then we walk in darkness, we are not practicing what we preach, right? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, so the light doesn't come in and from us, not, not in and of ourselves, right? We don't possess the light by ourselves. We personify the light because of the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have fellowship with one another because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So an active witness is living as a child of light 
and is remaining alert and watchful. Well, then Paul expounds in verses six and seven on having this awakened spirit. Because notice he says, so then, okay, is all of what we just said in verses four and five, even going back to verses one and three about the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night and not being fooled by them declaring peace and safety. We are not to sleep as others do, but we are to be awakened. We are to be sober. Now this has nothing about wokeness, okay? What Paul's doing by referring to the you to now the we is interesting because he's sharing in on the spiritual hope. So he is personalizing in verses four and five to the Thessalonians, but now he puts the we because we all as Christians have the spiritual hope as we anticipate the return of Christ. Now this phrase, not to sleep, so then let us not sleep. Earlier, again in context, if you go back to chapter four, verses 13 through 15, Paul used the term sleep. And that term in Greek, which meant death, is a Greek word koimoyo. Okay, but here in chapter five or six is the Greek word kathedomian, okay, kathedomian. And it means to be spiritually unaware of the activity and plans of God. So just because in the English you see in chapter four, the word sleep, and then you hear, and then you see it here in verse six, sleep again, does not mean it means the same thing. They're two different Greek words. So what Paul's stressing here in chapter five or six is the need to remain on high alert as the church faithfully executes their tasks in anticipation of Christ's return. Now, I like what the Bible knowledge commentary says, quote, Paul's exhortation was for his readers to have or to behave in keeping with their enlightened condition and to be prepared in view of the day of the Lord. He presented this exhortation as a logical conclusion from what preceded Besides being logical to behave this way, it is also a necessary duty. Christians should not be indifferent to the, re, the reality of the Lord's return. They should, not be, they should not be asleep on the job, end quote. So the bottom line, and being not just an, an active witness, but having an awakened spirit, is, is that Christians are not to be disengaged. We're not to be ignorant of what's taking place in the world. We are to shine our light in the darkness and expose people to the truth of God's word before he returns. And that's why he says now in verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So this imagery again comes back from the teaching, goes back to the teachings of Jesus. In Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51, Mark 13, 32 through 37, Luke 12, 42 through 48. So you can look those passages up. In keeping with his sober descriptions, Paul uses another metaphor. This is interesting, my friends. And this is important when we're studying eschatology is the use of metaphor. Sometimes people abuse it, they distort it, or they misappropriate it. Okay, there's different levels in terms of exegetical uh, structuring and inter interpretation of scripture that could do greater damage depending on how you take something. Now, in in uh, eschatology, like I said earlier, there's a lot of metaphorical language, there's a lot of symbolical language, and there's a lot of hyperbole in some aspects, and there's also a lot of literal interpretations that need to, that need to be applied so that we're not misappropriating or distorting or abusing the text. And so what we have to see here in the teachings of Paul and Pauline doctrine of eschatology of the end times, he's using metaphor to capture the dead state of unbelievers 
their senses are helplessly inebriated. Therefore, they are clueless and lost to what God's plan plans are in the future. Remember what we said earlier is they're not awake. They're, they're not sober. They're in, their, they're in the darkness. So they're not looking to Christ because they reject him. I love Romans 13, 12 through 13 because it bears in mind and also expands on what Paul says here in just verse 7. He, he, it's like a elongated passage here on what he's just talking about because in Romans 13 it says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cause or cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering or immorality or or indecency, not in strife and envying. So people who sleep, meaning people who are spiritually dead, and they talk about sleep at night, being they're, they're living in darkness. They're spiritually in darkness, right? So they, the life of God is not in them. They get drunk and they do things in a mischievous way. And they do things to feed their flesh. And Christians, remember, we were once in darkness, but now we are in light and we're to be children of light. And we anticipate the return of Christ. You can return at any time. And so we, we are to be alert and we're to be ready. So Christians are to have a good outlook on life. We're, we're not to get caught up in the bondage of the world. The unsaved, on the other hand, they live in this false paradise. So they could, they could go around and, and, and pray for Mother Earth and get drunk, get wasted, have sex with whoever they want to and think there's no consequences. They don't need to be tied down to a ball and chain relationship. And they think they have it made. It's a false paradise. And they're seeking only to advance their own pleasures. And many of them are drunken by their ignorance. So it's not just a literal drunkenness. They are intoxicated by their own foolishness. And get this, they're consumed by despair. Think about how many people you know in your life who are living in a false paradise. So someone who has an awakened spirit, okay, is someone who knows the days they live in. And we're not in despair. We're not discouraged. We're encouraged. We're uplifted. We have the word of God who dwells in us. And that's important, friends. And that's why verse 8 now this equipping of your life to have an equipped life. So be an active witness, have an awakened spirit and have a life that's equipped. He says here, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. So notice what he does is people who are not sober are drunken, you know, by their ignorance, who are lost in their darkness, in their sin. Here, those who are sober, notice, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, again, here's more imagery that Paul uses. And this comes from Isaiah 59, 17. So we would have done a, it would, let me put it this way. It would have been an injustice if we looked at this passage of scripture and not linked the phraseology and the metaphors and the imagery that Paul gets from Jesus 
we would have done a disservice to this text had we not looked in this case to where as Paul's moving the Thessalonians along where he's grabbing from the Old Testament, if you will, to apply in the New Testament. So that's why this is important, you guys, when we do proper hermeneutics, when we look at the text and we understand um, what is happening as much as we can with our limited minds, but through the help of the Holy Spirit and through critical thinking and letting the, the, the Bible interpret itself, this is the proper way of looking at the Holy Word of God. So the imagery that Paul uses here in verse 8 comes from Isaiah 59, 17. It's a description of God into battle. Isn't that amazing? So an equipped life, and this is what I hope a lot of Christians today, especially in the West, understand. Going to conferences, and I teach in a lot of them, so I'm not bad-mouthing or putting them down. I'm very blessed to go where God sends me. I truly, truly am. I want to be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. But let me just say this. What I oftentimes see is that people gravitate towards information. They gravitate towards, if I buy this book, if I talk to this speaker, if I go to this event, I'm going to have a stronger faith. We have to understand that in context of having an equipped life, it's not just head knowledge, but we're in battle. I mean, this is training. And I, and I pray that more of the outlets that you and I get the word of God from, that that's how they treat it. That we are equipping you guys because this is a battle. And, and that's what he's saying. Isaiah 59, 17 says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Notice, in a helmet of salvation on his head, he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So Paul's purpose in taking Isaiah 59, 17 and applying to as we're looking for, the, you know, for the, that day of the Lord, and again, the culmination, as we're an active witness, as we have an awakened spirit, and we are growing in our faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ, this is a battle that is raging. And the purpose that Paul's giving here is to teach Christians to act and live like soldiers for battle. Again, so we have to see this for what it is. It's a, it's a military imagery. This word sober means to be at peace with God and to consider the weight of life with contentment. This other phrase, breastplate of faith, and notice, not just faith, but of love. Th this is significant, you guys, because what he's doing is he's combining, Paul's combining this breastplate with faith and love, conveying to us as believers that we are to be on guard for the various attacks and temptations that will come. Look at a lot of these deconver deconversions today. People are leaving the faith. People are not just questioning their faith, but they're rejecting their faith. And they start using love as like the ultimate love wins. Love is love. Love wins. You, However you love is good. And it's a distortion of love. Lust becomes the definition of love. When, it, when you and I know it isn't because love is God. God is love, we're told in scripture. The other thing is a breastplate, remember it represents righteousness. And whose righteousness, whose light do we have in our lives? Christ, not our own. In faith, remember in, in Ephesians 6, 16 represents the shield. And notice he says now the hope of uh, the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. If, so if Christians trust God 
and they love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, then they will remain steadfast and they will fulfill a life that is honorable to the Lord. And so I close with this, you guys, to share with you. Romans 13, 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Isn't that beautiful? Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Notice, not some, the entirety of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He uses it again, going back to Isaiah 59, 17. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times and in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So my friends, as we conclude today, let me challenge you with these three particular areas as we're awaiting the return of Christ. Number one, how active are you in your witness? Are you living in darkness? Are you dabbling in areas of your life or areas of the world or things in the world that are dragging you down? Or are you shining bright for Christ? Number two, are you awakened? Again, are you not being woke, right, in the, in the culture today? Meaning, are you at peace with Christ, that soberness that Paul talks about? Are you awakened and you're looking around and even though things may be dark around you, even though you may see people in power who you know are leading people astray and you keep hearing about another one bites the dust, right, in the Christian faith, is that, letting, is that weighing on you to the point where you are not awakened and you're becoming dull or falling asleep? So I pray that you'll be encouraged that even though the, the, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, the scripture tells us, right? And finally, having an equipped life. What that means is are you training yourself for battle that you can fight against Satan and you're not doing it alone? Making sure that you're doing with people who God has put in your life to help you be better in your witness. So I pray this has been a blessing to you guys. As always, if you guys have any questions, you can contact me here at the ministry at info at standstrongministries.org. If you're a pastor and you fell upon this podcast and you've been listening to it for some time, you can check out my notes. If you haven't done so already, standstrongministries.org. Click on whatever podcast you're listening to and on a landing page, you'll have my notes that are there that you can use. And we also want to encourage you if you are going through this and you have a church that you love, share this podcast with them. And if you want me to come out and speak at your church, there's contact information at standstrongministries.org that you can get in contact with us and put all the details together. And we look forward to being 
a part of whatever you're doing in your community. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. Thank you.